0: Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage where I continue a tour of Yaomar Day with my guide Lindsay Varty. Lindsay is a Hong Konger and a professional rugby player. She's also the author of the book Sunset Survivors which looks at the artisan trades that are disappearing from Yaomar Day and other districts. Last week we met two brothers whose family business is one of the only copperware makers left. This week we meet Mrs. Ho, who makes weighing scales the traditional way. There's the woman sitting out with a sewing machine mending clothes, and the snack food that kids here used to eat. Lindsay also talks about a book she'd like to write on the old London trades, including mudlarking.
1: You see a lot of cats in these shops, don't you? Yeah, definitely, especially in the, the dried seafood shops and things like that. People always say they're there to catch the rats, but oh. who knows? A lot of workshops along here. Yeah, definitely. This area is known for a lot of lot of workshops like this with cables and vices and all sorts of things spilling out but also obviously we're very close to shanghai street which is renowned for its kitchenware just quickly take you down here there's a man called mr shing who's also in the book and he just runs a small convenience store obviously nowadays when you think a convenience store in hong kong you think 7-eleven circle k and these are the kind of foreign competition businesses that are taking over and shutting down a lot of these traditional shops but Mr. Shing continues to have his little shop today that he's had for over 25 years and he has dedicated his whole life to this little shop. He used to sell a lot of plastic toys that you would see in Hong Kong, all the sort of made in Hong Kong toys that were so prevalent in the 70s but as time's gone on he has sold less and less and has to sort of sell drinks and little Hong Kong snacks and cigarettes and things like that which sell more because he said often when kids go by they used to they beg their parents for these little plastic toys and, and gift sets, but nowadays they're more obsessed with iPhones and iPads and, and online games. I normally take walking tour people here if they want to stop and get a drink, but I also see if they want to try like Wamoya or some of the Hong Kong snacks. So, the sweet and salty plums, dry plums, all sorts of little things that they probably not tried before. And just to try the, the taste of old Hong Kong. I always just buy some one-way from him, yeah. so I'll uh, just buy yeah, one-way. Awesome. They're all very modest, like what he was saying is that there's nothing special about my shop, nothing special, you know. But I don't think they realize, or perhaps they're not bothered But the fact that these are sort of the foundations on which Hong Kong was built. These are the sort of traditional values and and tiny little shops that make Hong Kong so special that perhaps won't be here in in 10 years' time. No. Um, And
0: we're actually just passing a store where a lady's got her sewing machine out.
1: Yep, so I like to walk people down this little road because you've got some of the fruit that's being sold from the Yamate fruit market and you've got these little tiny stores here such as this lady. She is amending or, or helping people fix clothes so little tiny if your button falls off or you need to resew a hem or something like that that's the kind of jobs that they do here and every time I've come here she's been busy at work so it's nice to see her you know seems to keep having good business in this area.
0: Oh yes, I don't think there's a real need for it. It's, it's so much more environmental as
1: well. Yeah, I think I mean the mentality's changed massively. The reason why a lot of these businesses aren't doing so well anymore is I think people don't necessarily value their clothes and shoes and things like that as much anymore. When something breaks, you tend to just get a new thing. You know, clothes are so cheap nowadays that you can oh the zip's broken, I'll just throw it away and buy a new one. But in uh, in the sort of olden days in Hong Kong, not really olden days, but just you know 30, 40 years ago, if something broke, if your if the sole of your shoe fell off, you would go and get it fixed at a at a cobbler, or if the zip broke, you would take it to one of these ladies and, and get it replaced or get it fixed. You wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily throw it away and buy something new.
0: No, I totally agree, and I think yeah, it's, it's something that we need to return to. Uh, it's interesting that you were saying about um, some of the fruit. Wait, sorry, a bicycle just come past us <laughs> on the pavement. But uh, you know the, the fact that the fruit comes from the Yamate Fruit Market. I came through at 10:30 in the evening actually, and it was extraordinary just to see the amount of lorries offloading and there'd be trolleys with these guys you know with their sleeveless vests halfway up their chests um, as they tried to you know push these enormous trolleys around and all of this fruit being offloaded you know they'd have boxes and boxes piled up all over the street so I was really there at delivery time and plenty of durian yeah, you
1: smell it. as you get closer to yes. the market you yes can definitely smell the durian but, I mean, they get fruit from all over the world come in. And, and I got here a bit early today as well, and even at 8 o'clock. By 8 o'clock, they were putting all the fruit out, displaying it all. They got fruit from all over the world. I just find it really so interesting. And that yes. fruit market was established in 1913, and it's a grade 2 listed building in Hong Kong. So it's it's a huge part of Hong Kong's history. Right I had no next, idea. Yeah. And right next to the Yamate Theatre as yes. well, which is the oldest uh, pre-war World War Two theatre in Kowloon side that still remains. It was actually, I believe it was shut in 1998, I think, but then it reopened in 2012, and now you can go and watch Chinese opera there, and it's great that, you know, some of these things are being restored and, and being opened again for the public.
0: No, I have no idea with the fruit market, because for me it just looked like a bunch of sheds, but that's well, actually... It, was.
1: Yeah. it is, yeah, and, you know, it looks similar to sort of, things like the fabric market which are being you know downsized, downsized, and then there's sort of corrugated iron roofs everywhere and crates everywhere It doesn't look like much but actually when you when you find out that it's something is so old and it's a heritage part of hong kong and i just find it fascinating and i i do think that it's it as i said it makes up the ingredients of hong kong's sort of cultural identity and, and historic value. i always take tourists there or people from hong kong i'm talking with lindsay Vardy as we have a wander around
0: yao mate lindsay recently wrote the book Sunset Survivors which is a beautiful book of her writing and uh, also the photography of Gary Jones and Sunset Survivors is published by local hong kong publisher blacksmith books and we're having this wander around Yamate. we've been to see a traditional little shop which is is so much more interesting as you say than your 7-elevens and circle k and for me as a consumer you know and also obviously a heritage fan i think it's also my responsibility to sometimes support these family businesses i try with the wet markets because it's just better fruit and veg anyway than you're going to get in the supermarket it's not covered in plastic But, you know, I think it's it's up to us to try and, you know, I mean, I think that certain aspects are going to be inevitable, but a certain of these industries or trades are just older people. And and this was something that you found in your book, was that not everybody
1: is sad to go, you know, not everybody's sad to retire. Definitely. um, I'd say that about 80% of the people that I interviewed were just very realistic about the fate of their industries and their businesses. They are very well aware that, you know, their business would prob- probably die with them. They're 70, 80 years old running these businesses. Their children and grandchildren have absolutely zero intention of continuing their business. These people were very happy that their children had been to university and got much higher level of education than they had, and they were becoming bankers, lawyers, businessmen. They're incredibly happy that their children could make a better salary and not have to work as intensively and as hard as they did so that they could have better lives. They're very proud of their children for doing that and in that sense they were okay that their business would die with them and also anybody that has been to university probably doesn't want to follow into a business like that so they struggled to find any apprentices to pass down the the business to but i think the sad thing for those that were sad about it was that sometimes the the practice or the skill would be lost it's not so much that the business itself but that nobody wanted to continue to learn the skill you know the bird cage maker for example was very sad that the art of bird cage making would probably be lost in the next five to ten years because he is the last man in hong kong that knows how to hand make a birdcage from start to finish and nobody wanted to learn from him and he took such pride in having learned from two masters himself that he said that he could never be a master like those people were because nobody wanted to learn from him so it's a very bittersweet tale but just wanted to say as we walk down this street here it just really makes me justify the reason why I chose Yamate for this tour, because you're walking past these traditional sort of the metal shutters that you see all around Hong Kong. You see the metal old style letter boxes on all of the sort of buildings as we walk past. There's piles of durian, piles of lychee and longan everywhere. And then there's boxes and, and crates and trolleys going by. There's ladies fixing things on sewing machines and people selling things out the front of their shops. There's paper effigy makers with their, their handmade paper effigy creations spilling out onto the shops outside. I just, I find this street so interesting. And, you know, if you walk through Central, even though it's, it's beautiful, you're walking past Coach, Prada, Gucci. These, whilst amazing things and expensive shops, they're not truly representative of Hong Kong. But I feel like this street is such a a great representation of Hong Kong.
0: It's alive. It's local. Yes, yes. I mean, I'm not a particular fan of um, the term intangible heritage I think it can be very overused. But I I do think that there's so many aspects of Hong Kong, like the streets that we've just walked up, the aspect is it's stimulating, it's interesting. And uh, for me, it's it's a great part of why I love Hong Kong. We're past the stack of durian. Are you a
1: fan? Not really. The smell is kind of off-putting, but I've had durian ice cream, and that was quite nice. But just the fruit, it, I think just because you have to sort of get the gloves out and everything, you know, it, it's not so appealing. But it is a smell that reminds you of Hong Kong. Not all things... You, you don't have to like everything for it to remind you of Hong Kong. The smell of stinky tofu is, is very reminiscent of Hong Kong streets, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I love it. Yeah. But there's certain smells that, that I really do associate with Hong Kong. I always mention the... The smell of like roasted chestnuts and sweet potatoes being sold from those trolleys on the street will always remind me that like Hong Kong winter has begun. You yes. Know? It's, it's, oh it's, totally. You know, months have, have come, and I, I love that about Hong Kong. We'll just quickly make it across this road. What's this lovely old brick building in front of us in Yamate? So we're in Shanghai Street now. So you have the theatre just to your right and then the public bathrooms and then you have this wonderful red brick building which was completely unused for, for a long time. It was the old water pump station in Yamate which has now been restored and is being used as the administrative building for the theatre. So um, they work with the theatre now, also opened in, uh, or reopened in 2012.
0: Absolutely gorgeous, it's here. So you've got um, a lovely, well would you call that a veranda coming off, it all in brick, you've got shutters. And it's this two-story building um, surrounded, of course, by far more modern buildings dwarfing it somewhat. And opposite, you've got the Shanghai Street temporary refuse collection point. But I even like that in the sense that what is really a, yeah. a waste
1: depot has even got flowers sort of uh, painted onto the side, yeah. onto the walls. That's what I like about Yamate is the sort of mishmash, like juxtaposition of old, new, gross, and beautiful, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what makes it so funny and special. So the next person I will take you to is just over there, and it's Mrs Ho that runs a traditional scales shop. So she hand makes traditional scales, the ones that you might see in the wet market, with the long wooden pole and a metal tray on one side and a weight hanging on the other. So we're just going to cross
0: Shanghai Street here in Yamate. So along with the book Sunset Survivors, Lindsay Vardy also organises tours of Yalmarte, and depending on how adventurous you are with your food, you can have uh, <laughs> for anything from mild to adventurous, And uh, but also takes you around uh, some of these old trades and uh, buildings like the Yalmarte
1: Theatre. So I always take people to visit Mrs Poe, because she's quite a character. If I let her know in advance that I'm coming, she always gets her hair done and gets a perm before I, uh, <laughs> I get here. Hello! So a lot of people think that people use these scales because they can scam you because you can't really prove it. That's why sometimes like Mrs. Ho says that she's got a set of scales, these type of scales at home. So she'll always go home and and measure it to see whether she's been conned in the wet market by the people.
0: (laughs) No, but I find it very interesting to, you know, you were saying earlier about words such as birdcage and things that despite, you know, speaking everyday Cantonese, you needed to uh, gen up on to do this book, Sunset Survivors. But in the same way, you're just describing like a catty. I'd never come across that word. I mean, I've been here 26 years and I've never come across that word um, before, really. And so, I mean, I, I like those words brisket for beef as well yeah. was a new
1: one for me as well even though that I mean, wasn't a thing anywhere else yeah, yeah i don't know
0: possibly it is but it was it, first, certainly the first time i was coming across yeah. it was in
1: hong kong so
0: will a lot of people still choose these traditional types of scales
1: not many no i mean as you can see just next door they have um the normal yeah. sort of well i say normal but the more modern uh, spring scales that you can have but mrs uh, ho describes why some people prefer these scales because they can get wet so they're great for the wet market and you have the really really big version of them and i want you know up to $900 for a sort of giant version of these traditional scales and i asked her who uses them and they're for fishermen so out at sea because you know it can get as wet as you like and be in a boat for a long time and what's to weigh the fish to weigh the catch yeah so i thought that was very interesting just for me it reminds me of going to the wet market when i was young you know i always would would see people using these scales and i never even thought it was weird i think because i would seen it so oh, yeah. often since i was young but when i bring people from overseas here they find it fascinating that these scales are still being used right and the, the abacus that is old here like she still does her calculations on an abacus when people buy things here and you wonder why wow, why don't you just use a normal calculator just because a lot of these people they like the way that they were brought up they like the way that they lived when they were young and it's simple and it's easy and it's not complicated and they just that's what they appreciate and they still have loyal customers that come back
0: Now, while we're talking, I would just like to describe this. It's a a very small sort of shop, a sort of hole in the wall. And uh, Mrs. Howe, who Lindsay has just described as probably late 70s, early 80s, is in fact up two wooden stools, and uh, she's standing on top of a stainless steel table. Well, she hangs up... Um, now, is there a plural of abacuses? Abacai? I
1: don't know, that's why I just stuck with abacus. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and uh, she so she's hanging up her, her stacks of abacuses because uh, we're still fairly early in the day and uh, also all of these traditional weighing mechanisms. It's really superb to see. Now, I mean, Lindsay, you're 20 years younger than me, but growing up in... Hong Kong um is there a you know with writing this book obviously it's a celebration of these Hong Kong trades there is an element of sadness that some of them will disappear but it's fantastic job that you've done of capturing some of those
1: I don't think your work is yet done though no so there's a little bit more to come so after I produced this book you know I just wanted to document it because for me it was special and it was the type of things that I recalled from my childhood and I, I noticed them disappearing as I got older and I just wanted to sort of pay like a bit of respect to them and a bit of like homage to the sort of old Hong Kong heritage traditions and, and industries that I'd seen. But yeah, definitely since I did that book, a lot of people have been writing to me to say, oh, you know, there's this guy here or the tin man in Kung, or this guy. Unfortunately, he's passed away as a lot of these people keep doing as you as you waste time. But I think there's enough for a, a second edition. And then there's certainly some other projects on the way as well um, about some other Hong Kong things and aspects of old Hong Kong as well. Now, not only Hong Kong. You're also looking at London. Yes. So, as I said, I mean, I lived my whole life in Hong Kong, but I was, in fact, born in London and spent, you know, a fine 20 days in London. So, <laughs> part of me feels this connection to London too. So, I went back recently to have a look at some of the old jobs there, and I'm thinking about doing uh, Sunset Survivors there because. You know, there's mud larking. I met What is mud
0: larking? Yes,
1: I didn't know either. I went to a few markets and I met these guys who were mud larkers. And it's fascinating. When the tide in the River Thames goes down, they go they go down to the riverbanks and they scavenge in the mud to find these perfectly preserved relics of old London. So they find things from the medieval era. You know, they find, you know, not just coins and things, but spoons and pipes and just pots and, and all, like, an array of amazing things. They also find, you know, like murder weapons that have been washed up in the Thames as well, but amongst all of these fascinating things, this is not so much a job in itself, it used to be that people made a living out of it, nowadays people are just, it's more like a hobby for these people, but these these older gentlemen would find all of these things and sell them to either museums or donate them to museums and sell them at markets and things like that, so that's mudlarking. I also met a man that's trained 2 they're not hawks, but I forget the name of them, these these big birds of prey that basically he's trained them to go to big skyscrapers or cathedrals and and larger buildings, and they they fly around the building, getting rid of all the other birds and the bird nests. And so it keeps the building clean and, and free of any nests and things like that. So people employ this man to bring his birds and do that. So there's so many wild and wacky jobs about London that people don't really know about. So definitely looking into doing something there as well. So Sunset Survivors is going international? Well, let's see. I hope so. If anybody has any recommendations for old, interesting jobs in in London, do let me know. And also, are you interested in any more in Hong Kong or have you got enough here? Yeah, absolutely. Always interested in Hong Kong. So I actually have um, an Instagram, a Facebook, just at Sunset Survivors and I'm always asking if anybody knows any more jobs or people that they've seen around Hong Kong, just take a quick snap and uh, send me the address or just hashtag sunset survivors and I'll go and visit them and try and get their story. And if people would like your tour of Yamaday. Yeah, so um, the tours, if you go to the website, just www.sunsetsurvivors.com, um, there's some more information about the tours. I'm just doing private tours at the moment, so people can just email me and sort of say when, when they're available. And I'll start to put updates for the group tours as well, but mainly just the private ones for now. And I'll see if I can make it work. But yeah, I'm always keen to do walking tours.
0: So I'm with Lindsay Vardy, we're in Yamate. We've just been to see Mrs. Ho and her shop of weighing scales, which she actually still very much makes herself. So there's a stainless steel tray and then the wooden stick where you put the different measurements on there and then you hang it against a weight. And up on the wall we've also got a whole array of wooden abacuses and also,
1: what else has she got up here, Lindsay? She's She's got also some wooden rulers. If you can see back there, they're just a wooden ruler with the similar gold markings along them. And these are actually for traditional Chinese weddings. Um, there's a lot of different things that you have within Chinese weddings, like uh, customs and traditions that you have, such as you know the uh, combing of the hair with a certain type of comb. And this ruler is for—I'm not entirely sure—is you don't really use it for measuring things, but it's just part of the apparatus of a traditional Chinese wedding. But that's very rarely used anymore. But she does sell all of these older traditional customs. So. Well, congratulations, because I understand you're also going to be getting married. Are you going to be, as a Hong Konger, are you going to be incorporating some Chinese traditions in your wedding, whenever that is? Well, wedding planning is uh, incredibly difficult, but um, yes, I think so. I'll probably follow more of a Western thing because I'm only a little bit Chinese, but my respect and love for Hong Kong will definitely mean that I incorporate some Hong Kong traditions into my wedding, yeah.
0: We're just passing again the administrative building for the Yao Mate Theatre. I love these kitchen shops. So here we've got all the stainless steel and actually chef's outfits, a whole array of knives.
1: You've also got all of these soup urns. Did you grow up on soup like this? Um, Yeah, definitely we had some when we were young, but nowadays even more so at the sports institute where I work for rugby, every day there'll be a new traditional Chinese soup on offer, so you definitely see a lot of these kind of items there. one of the normal small Hong
0: Kong kitchens I just have one hob so I have a stackable stainless steel steamer on there which is just the best for you know fresh fish fresh steamed veg but I often find that I'm passing these shops and I find them so attractive that it's like, I must be able to buy something
1: my <laughs> kitchen is about the size of a cupboard and yet I got half these things in these shops because I just, they all look so nice you know you just want to buy all sorts of things chopping boards are a big thing in Hong Kong as well so you can see across the, the way they the there, there's a shop, the Menkee chopping board shop. But it has all of these like beautiful chopping boards and the very traditional wooden ones, unlike a lot of the time you see plastic ones nowadays. So everything here's the bamboo, rattan, you know. It's a real thing, chopsticks. isn't it? It's all a real thing, yeah. Yeah, so we're just passing a ceramic shop. So this is like, notoriously Hong Kong's like Shanghai Street was always been the kitchenware shop. So my boyfriend actually owns a, a restaurant, so they buy all their things here as well. So sometimes you come by and, and Every restaurant in Hong Kong will probably come here to buy their their goods. Mrs. Ho, I just wanted to mention as well, she's been working at that very shop since she was 12 years old. So that's when she first learned to make the traditional scales. That's amazing. Yeah, she's been working there ever since. Very dedicated, as I said, all because of the, the memory of her father. So her grandchildren all told her she needs to retire, but she said that's the last memory and connection that she has with her father. So she wants to work until the day she dies, basically. And a lot of these people, you know, they don't need to work anymore. They've got families that can take care of them or, you know, welfare programs and stuff that can look after them. But she, amongst others, they just want to work for a sense of purpose, a sense of something to do so they don't get bored and so they never feel like a burden on their families as well. So Yamate is not
0: your only tour?
1: No, I've just started to do another tour in the western district of Hong Kong. So we go from Sai Ying to Central. Um, so it's a little bit longer, but it's sort of food and beverage based, There's some other things too. But you start off with the bamboo steamer shop, and you work your way back to a herbal tea and turtle shell jelly shop, uh, with the oldest shop in Hollywood Road. So it's and you see a lot of tea and a lot of snacks along the way. So it's it's quite a, a nice alternative for those wanting to stay on Hong Kong side. So on a hot day like today, what sort of tea should I be having? Ooh, good question. Any kind of tea, probably not one that you'd want on a hot day when you're feeling fine, but one of the more interesting tea shops that I interviewed was, uh, it's called Hapzai Ta, it's called Little Box of Tea, and it was like an early Chinese herbal tea remedy made up of 20-something different ingredients, and the way that you make it, you have to do nine soaks and nine dries, so all the ingredients are soaked and dried, soaked and dried nine times. And... The factory is actually still in Hong Kong, it's in Sai Kung and all the workers there are over 70 years old and they're the only ones that really know how to make this type of tea. But it's, it comes in a little box, that's why it's known as Hap Zai like little box of tea. And typically you have it when you're sick, and then you uh, have it, get into bed, stay all warm, and you basically sweat out the illness, and that's how it works. So not nice on a hot day, no, but definitely something to pick up when you are feeling sick. And these are the kind of remedies that were very like commonly used in the days before Western medicine became more of a thing, which is, again, why a lot of these industries are dying out. Things like snake soup to to ward off, you know, arthritis and things like this, you know, now you have Western remedies that are replacing these sort of more traditional Chinese beliefs, cultural sort of beliefs back in the past.
0: But some of these soups and some of these remedies are based on, you know,
1: very good medical research in lots of ways. Yeah, definitely. and. You know, you think about it, a nice hot bowl of soup with this sort of meaty substance to it, with like such a snake soup, that definitely would help you sort of warm up your insides. And you have the same concept in English, but you just, you call it a hearty bowl of soup rather than a sort of remedy for arthritis, you know, <laughs> the, the same thing goes. But And a lot of people, you know, don't necessarily want to eat snake soup for a variety of reasons, but these are all the factors as to, to why a lot of these industries may be suffering from a lack of business.
0: Do you feel nostalgic
1: yourself that some of them are disappearing? Definitely. I mean, the whole project of Sunset Survivors started because my parents live in a flat at the top of Lang Kwai Fong, and so I used to stay with them for about a year, and every day we'd day I'd walk down the same route to the MTR, and every day I'd pass this man. He was like an elderly Chinese man that always was standing outside of the, the coach or the Prada, or whatever it is, at the bottom of Lang Kwai Fong, and he had this small tray hanging around his neck, and he wore the sort of traditional... Uh, Chinese linen traditional wear, and he had this little tray hanging around his neck selling these little white flowers and like sweet smelling flowers that you'd put in your top pocket and they're sort of 10, 20 dollars maximum and my dad always used to buy one and put it in his pocket and I'd always see it when he he came home he'd often have one of these little flowers and you know all these sort of high-end shops and millionaire people walking around in fancy suits and just thousands of people walking past this man who was just standing there with this little tray of flowers and one day he was just gone and I saw him every day and then he was gone and then I never saw him again and of course that's what's happening with a lot of these businesses and these people they die and their trade dies with them and their industry goes and then you just never see them again and a lot of people perhaps don't even realize that they're gone and so for me it was just this like moment where I realized that these people and these businesses are slipping away before our very eyes and we're not even noticing that they're disappearing. So what I wanted to do was capture it and document them before they work on, because inevitably they're, they're on the way out. But if you can just appreciate and recognise them while they're still here, then I think that we can sort of appreciate Hong Kong cultural identity just that little bit more.
0: My thanks to Lindsay Varty, the author of Sunset Survivors, published by Blacksmith Books. The beautiful photographs are by Gary Jones. If you'd like to find out more about Lindsay's work or book one of her tours, then go to www.sunsetsurvivors.com. That's www.sunsetsurvivors.com. I learnt a number of things through Lindsay's tour. One is just how old that fruit market is. Dating back to 1913... The Yaomate Wholesale Fruit Market was founded between Ferry Street, Waterloo Road, and Reclamation Street. It was listed as a Grade 2 historical building in 2009 and used to also sell vegetables, but these days it's just solely fruit. There are also apparently signboards on the outer walls of the market dating back to before the Second World War. Yaomate itself can be transliterated to mean oil sesame field or oil and jute ground, and originated as a village in Kowloon. The Yaomate Theatre, which I'll definitely return to, was once the largest in Kowloon. Next week on Hong Kong Heritage, I'll be talking with publisher Graham Earnshaw of Earnshaw Books about the 19th century intrepid travel writer Isabella Bird. Despite suffering from ill health, she travelled to America where she might have had a romantic liaison with an outlaw. She also went to China and Malaysia among other countries. She would develop her own photographs using the natural dark outside as her darkroom as she headed up the Yangtze in a boat. If you want to understand what it was like to be in Hawaii or in the Rocky Mountains or in Tibet, Western Tibet in the 1870s or the 1880s, there is absolutely no better way to do it than to read an Isabella Bird book. That will give you the sense of it, the, 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 the real tactile feel for what it was like there and how you as the reader, how you would react if you were you were there as well. This is the best role that a travel writer can take, that is to be the representative of the reader and to lead the reader through and to make you, the reader, feel that you're seeing what is happening around through the eyes of the writer, and Isabella is a past master of that. Graham Earnshaw there of Earnshaw Books, who I'll be talking with next week on the life and work of Isabella Bird. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.